Well, that was a fun intro. Yeah. <laughs> Talked about <laughs> marijuana and all kinds of things. Yeah. Right. This is Hashtag History, episode 44. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. You just and got right to it there. Yeah, just bam. Just bam. <laughs> <laughs> We've said it before on the podcast. We'll say it again. Sometimes history is tough. It often is. Most of the time it is. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we should know about it any less, and that definitely does not mean we should avoid it. The last two weeks in particular, we have discussed the major issues of racism and white supremacy that are prevalent all throughout American history. While we're taking a break this week from talking about that kind of tough history, that isn't to say the topic we are discussing this week isn't tough as well, because this one is going to hurt our art history friends real, real bad. It hurts. It, yeah, it's it hurts. It hurts. So, um, sorry about that. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, games. <laughs> As you can all read in the title of this episode, this week we are discussing a museum theft, a really major museum theft that occurred on March 18th, 1990, when two men dressed as police officers walked into the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, tied up the museum guards in the basement of the museum, and then walked out with 13 pieces of artwork valuing at over $600 million in today's money. Yeah. To this day, we still do not know who was responsible for the theft. No arrests have ever been made and none of the artwork has ever been recovered. This is the largest unsolved case of museum theft in the history of ever. So let's dive into this week's topic, but not before having a drink. A drink, drink. A drink. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Oh, and this one's gonna be nasty. Oh, <laughs> I I am not. I'm not looking forward to. I this. I don't know. I sort of am. I. It's like we we talked about this for like last week's or the week or the week before last that we were like looking forward to a gross cocktail, and then it turned out to be just it was fine. Yeah, yeah, it was fine. So maybe that was part of the reason why I chose this one. Is I kind of wanted. Yeah, I, we were talking about this off air. Like our first season, we had gross cocktails not on purpose. We mm-hmm. were newbies. Yeah. We went through a couple of really good seasons of we like did. really excellent cocktails. This time we're having gross cocktails on purpose. Yeah, we are. So while you and I both agree we like tomatoes. Love tomatoes. Literally, like end of the world i'm given three options of food to eat like you can have three things before you die or whatever tomatoes is one of them banana another one (laughs) if the categories are like one category is fruit and i had to choose between banana and tomato i would choose a tomato i love tomato like literally i love tomatoes okay i love tomatoes okay you want to tell your story oh i had a story (laughs) yes uh I love them so much that when I was working at City Hall, Uh there was every Wednesday, there was like a farmer's market across the street. bit into a tomato. It's worse. Okay. So my coworkers would all get, and this isn't to say I wouldn't get a really 
greasy food too but for the most part like my coworkers would get like you know there'd be a vendor that's selling super greasy chinese food yeah and then super greasy mexican food and so for the most part though when they were like getting lunch i would just get a bag like five pounds of cherry tomatoes and eat that yeah literally i did it uh i mean i did it like every week mm-hmm. where i would buy this many tomatoes but i only one time made the mistake of like finishing finishing like five pounds of cherry tomatoes within like 30 minutes or something Uh literally my insides were ripped apart for like three days it's the acidity it's it's i mean it's it's acidity and it's i mean it's a fruit it runs through you it was horrific it was like almost to the point of like i need to that was my lunch and i need to I was going to say, like, can I go home for the afternoon? <laughs> it was the way you were very, very. No, I like, was like, it was almost to the point of calling in sick for two hours, and no, you're like, like <laughs> you're like, call an ambulance, I see you, hook her like, up to an IV. <laughs> no, not that extreme. But I don't know, diarrhea can be a serious thing. Oh my god! Like, if y'all ever need a cleanse, tomato, juice? the cherry tomato cleanse. Oh my gosh. Five pounds of cherry tomatoes. You will fit in that dress. Yeah. at the end of it. Yeah. So <laughs> anyways. Yeah, moving on. This cocktail has cherry tomatoes in it. Yeah, that's why we're talking about tomatoes. Yeah. So um even bloody Marys are like hard for me to handle. Like when there's like a piece of bacon in a drink, it just seems weird to me. <laughs> I and that's actually like a weird I guess weird for me to say with how much I love tomatoes. I don't like bloody Marys. I we were talking about this. I like spicy tomato juice, but maybe it's I don't like the vodka mixed with it. Yeah. The, that's the part I don't like. There's just something. Or maybe it's just like your cocktail shouldn't ever be tomato y. Yeah. That could just be it. We're breaking that rule tonight, guys. <laughs> because tonight's cocktail is called the drunk gardener <laughs> and it's not in any way related to the gardener music what is the full name uh the isabella stewart gardener museum right um it just is called the gardener i see the correlation of course right yeah um it, probably because there's tomatoes in it like a garden yeah um yeah. so in addition to cherry tomatoes uh it also <laughs> contains salt which the recipe doesn't actually tell you how much to put in so we may be sprinkling some more in we literally just brought in the salt shaker like brought it to us so that we can add in as if needed. we need to yeah uh it also contains gin uh-huh. our least favorite literally our least favorite literally our least favorite um an ounce of dry vermouth which, which is again, maybe our second least favorite yeah, it's down there and then elderflower liqueur which is our actual favorite <laughs> so it's a mixed bag here <laughs> two of the things in here are like the things if i was going to die tomorrow i would want yeah and the other things are like my least favorite things on the planet yeah so you're supposed to like muddle it all together shake it in a shaker i did all that uh-huh and then you garnish with basil i forgot the f-ing basil Do you have basil yes i bought it for this hold on Okay, so we added basil. Yeah, basil's been added. Because um, I forgot, it says that you can garnish with basil or any other fresh herb. Awesome. Yeah, so it's um, going to be interesting. Now, again, I chose this cocktail for its very literal connection to Miss Gardner. And because 
<laughs> Miss Gardner. Is it named after? I'm sure we'll go into that. Yeah, it's named after her. Uh-huh. Okay. And because I was fully curious about how all of these ingredients could possibly meld together into anything edible or, or drinkable, I guess. Yeah. So let's see. It, it looks like a garden. Oh, it sure does. <laughs> I'm like nervous. I'm so I'm actually nervous. nervous to drink it. I'm going to eat one of the tomatoes first. It's fine. I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> is, is, are, <laughs> no. Bad. Um, I don't know what to say. What am I tasting? I'm tasting salt and vermouth. Salt? Like, I don't even taste it. Did I put more salt in yours? Maybe. I, I taste salt and vermouth, right? I think I don't mind it if I don't think about what I'm drinking. Exactly. When I start to think, I'm like, that's gross. Yeah. You guys will see when we post the picture. Um, It looks gross. <laughs> like, when I poured the concoction out, into the glass, it was like a soupy. It looked like V8. Vom- vomited up V8. <laughs> in the V in V8 meant stands for vomit. I'm vomitate. Not- it looked like vomitate. I'm actually surprised because the gin. I don't taste the gin, which usually g- the gin is like the strongest, it's overpowering. Yeah. We can hate it. Um, but that's not what I'm tasting at all. I think this really is a mental game because. I don't mind it. And then it's like halfway through the taste of my mouth. I'm like, but remember what you just put in your mouth. And then your stomach turns a little yeah, bit. Like, and then the taste is fine, but your stomach is turning. It's a, it's a, yeah, because it's a mental game. Mm. So, rating. Oh, my God. Like a three, not because taste makes me want to vomit, but like my mind makes me want to vomit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was going to give it a four. Because, um, okay. it, it, like you said, just... If if I didn't know there were tomato, like if you strained out all the tomato chunks, and someone didn't tell you, hey, there's tomatoes in here, I think it would just taste like it would be fine. It would be fine. It would taste like this is a salty vermouth drink. Is what I would think. It's kind of bothersome, right? Your stomach's turning. Yeah, it, it is. Every sip I take, my stomach is like <laughs> that much closer. <laughs> Oh, you and ha- look at all the seeds at the bottom too. Yeah, you got most of the chunks. So congrats on that. I mean, I love tomatoes, but it's, that, it's this is chugged. This isn't liquid. That's all tomato at the bottom. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. It's fully just tomato chunks and basil at the bottom. Yeah, I just need to sit here for a little while. Okay. <laughs> oh, jeez, that it's noise! Like, it's the like the noise you just made. <laughs> was, like, it's like after you get off Space Mountain and you're just like, I just need to sit for like just a moment. I'll be fine. Yeah. See, but I, I just, don't have that experience. Usually when I get off Space Mountain, I just jump back in line. I know. Again. That's right. That's right. Were you, you were there, were you with us when my mom went on Space Mountain and we I thought she like so. flew oh, off? Wait. wait. It was yes, like late in the yes. evening. So my mom is like so cute and so tiny. <laughs> she loves Space Mountain and we... If, if for anyone that hasn't been to Disneyland Space Mountain, it's like sort of the best ride there or yeah. like one of the best just because it's a very fun. It's all in the dark, but you're moving at like lightning speed. It's it's fun. I think I heard you're actually only going like 40 miles an hour at top speed. Oh, it, it feels a lot <laughs> it faster because and I, it's dark and there's lights flying by your yeah. head. Yeah. Yeah. And so we all got on and I think my mom must have been in like the car in front of us. Yeah, because we did single rider. That's right. We That's did single right. Rider. We waited in the single rider line for like an hour. 
Um, and yeah. so we weren't all together. We were all in that separate cars right. yeah. and stuff. And so, but I, I like we saw my mom get on probably just like a little bit before us or something. Yes. And then we all got off. Our whole group got off. And then it was literally like. I, it felt like 10 minutes later it, it, or I something. I would say Maybe it was about five to 10 minutes. Yeah. And we're like, my mom still hadn't like walked out from the exit. We were like, getting off the, the right bathroom. I know my instant thought was because my mom is so little. Like my mom weighs like a hundred pounds soaking wet and is like five foot tall. I didn't know this. My first thought, you didn't know that. I thought I said this to you. My first thought was she like <laughs> flew off of Space Mountain. That's not funny. I, I'm being dead serious. Like, I think I was that's like, funny that that's where your mind goes when there's like still people exiting instantly. the ride. Yeah. Well, Disney needs to make money. They were like, okay, so there was one human casualty. <laughs> Just no one get in that cart. Yeah. Literally, and then my mom, any, anyway, fast forward to the end of the story. Her, in her cart, there actually was like a malfunction. The, uh, like handlebar that comes down to kind of lock you into the seat. Um, <laughs> Leah's making faces because the cocktail is so horrid. I can't chug like you can. I can't. Mind over matter. Um, anyway, the handlebar was like not coming back up or something. So they just told my mom like, you know what? Do you want to just do the ride one more time? And she was like, sure, of course. So my mom ends up going on the ride like two times in a row, which my mom was like, she loves that ride. But she was like, that's a brutal ride to do like immediately back to back. I've actually done it where it malfunctioned or something. And oh I, my I God. I had to ride twice in a row. Yeah. Anyway, that whole long winded story was just to say that that is what this drink feels like. It's like, I just need, I'm going to be fine. I just need a moment. And and that did that story give you that moment? Yeah, I'm Feel feeling okay. Now? Okay, we'll find out in a couple minutes if I throw is up. Disgusting. I don't taste the aftertaste. It tastes like t- tomato sludge. <laughs> tomato sludge. I don't even know what that is, but that's what it tastes like. I don't have the taste is basil that I taste. Maybe eat a basil thing. Oh yeah, eat a basil leaf at the end. Put some salt on it. No. <laughs> We have a full salad here, really. This is a caprese salad. All we need is some mozzarella. Some cheese, yeah. All right, so we ready to do this thing? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> She's just going to chop on basil throughout the episode just, just to get the taste drinks. out. Yeah, Because I still haven't finished it. I love that so much that that's like the in-between, like the... the what's, palate cleanser? The palate cleanser is literally a, a leaf, a basil leaf. Oh, Okay. It gets worse. I'm lowering it down to a two. Oh my god, that that went quickly. So it's now a two point five. Is this our lowest drink ever? Is this and it's not even the worst drink we've ever had. No, it's, it's not. Just... It didn't it's a mind game, you guys. I don't know how else to say it. Like the taste isn't isn't horrific, but it's halfway through the swallow that you're like, oh my god, what am I swallowing? Yeah, anyway. Anyway. Now, before we get into the crime, we have to talk about the museum. The Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum is located in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, It was created to house Gardner's extensive art collection. Gardner, born in 1840 to wealthy parents, was a socialite. And we're talking super wealthy. Soup's wealthy. Soup's wealth. Soup's wealth. (laughs) When she received her inheritance from her father, she received $1.6 million. Is that with inflation? I'm very glad that you asked that, Leah, because I actually did try very hard to figure out if this number is like today's money or like mid 1800s money because if it's mid 1800s i couldn't i couldn't get an exact number yeah 
if it made it 1800s money, 1.6 million, that is insane. Um, if like, if this doesn't account for inflation, we're talking, I did look it up just in case it was something like 200 billion is what it would be in today's money. Yeah. But I, I, again, I'm very glad you asked that because I did like looked so hard to figure out if this number comes from what she actually really received in the 18 mid 1800s or if this is an inflation i don't know okay let us know if you know yeah Yeah, if you know i would love to know oh my gosh um so gardner she only had one son that very sadly died from pneumonia before he was even two years old a year later she suffered a miscarriage and was told she would never be able to have children again okay devastating when her brother-in-law passed away gardner and her husband essentially adopted his three sons whom they loved dearly Something else that the Gardner couple loved was traveling, and it was on their trips to Europe primarily that Mrs. Gardner began to acquire a vast art collection. One of the first pieces of art that Gardner acquired was the concert by Vermeer. Over the years, she acquired other pieces of work like statues and photographs and rare books from artists ranging from Botticelli to Rembrandt. By the end of her collection, she had some 7,500 paintings. Not to mention the hundreds of thousands of other archival artifacts from all over the world that she collected. Clearly, at this point, her house was bursting at the seams. I was going to say, like, what is her husband just like, she's (laughs) buying another million dollar painting? From from the research uh, that I did, it actually seems like it was a partnership between them. Like, I think it was more so her thing, but he was very supportive and he also liked collecting art. Okay. But it was after her husband's death in 1898 that she decided to pursue their lifelong dream of building a museum to house their collection. Gardner was super involved in the creation of the museum and even lived on the fourth floor of the museum after it opened on January 1st, 1903. That's cool. Very cool. And actually other directors um, after her passing continue to live in the fourth floor. The current director does not. Um, That's and it's really cool. It, very cool, right? When Gardner died in 1924, she left the museum $3.6 million and stated in her will that no artifacts in the museum were ever to be sold. The museum was never to receive major renovations, nor would there ever be more artifacts brought into the museum. That's very weird stipulations. Like, you can never make improvements. Even in a million years when the building is crumbling, you can't (laughs) do major renovations. Well, exactly. I mean, I just think of, like, from a business perspective, like, how are you going to continue to generate business if you only ever house the exact same artwork forever and ever and yeah, ever? Yeah, that's very true. Like, you're only going to get tourists. You know, like, the people that live there aren't going to come see the same fi- like sure. the same artifacts over and over again. I-, I can only imagine, again, from a business perspective, like, how difficult it has been for the director to accommodate her will. Yeah. In the 1980s, following a threat to rob the museum, they upped security by adding 60 infrared motion detectors and a TV system that showed four different locations outside of the building. But note here that all of these cameras were located outside of the building. They did not place any cameras inside of the museum. Again, kind of going back to her not wanting major renovations to the museum, the board felt that it would be doing too much and going against her will to add cameras and other security measures within the building yeah additionally at this time the only way that the police could be called from inside the museum was with a button at the security desk 
Hey there, it's Leah. We are so excited to announce that today's episode is brought to you by Podcorn. We utilize Podcorn to source and generate the majority of the ads you hear during our episodes and are so excited to now call them a sponsor. Podcorn is a digital marketplace connecting podcasters like us to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and even mid-roll ad slots such as this one. With Podcorn, there is no middleman, which is fantastic. Podcasters of any size can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is there to support you during every step. They ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do for every brand. So click the link in our show notes to check out Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities for your own podcast, or simply visit podcorn.com, that's P-O-D-C-O-R-N.com for more information. Okay, so let's fast forward to March 18th, 1990. It's super early on a Sunday morning. (laughs) There were only two guys on guard that night, a 23-year-old named Rick Abiff and a 25-year-old named Randy Heston, who, by the way, was working the night shift for the very first time ever. Oh, Randy. We know that Abbott at one point was walking around the museum and even opened the side entrance to the museum for a moment before closing it again. We don't know why, but it's interesting to note because at 1.20 that morning, two men dressed as police officers rolled up to the side entrance of the museum. When they rang the buzzer outdoors, they got in touch with Abbott via the intercom and told him they were checking in because they had been alerted to a disturbance inside. At 1.24 a.m., they were let inside by Abbott. When the two men met up with Abbott at the security desk, they ordered him to radio Heston so that both security guards were there in front of them. According to Abbott, he initially wasn't concerned and did radio Heston to return to the security desk. But after a few moments of looking at the two police officers, he noticed that the mustache on one of the men was F-A-K-E. Fake. 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 Can you imagine being in that moment like your mustache is falling off? Yeah. I mean, it's I've worn little... prosthetic mustaches and, and <laughs> facial hair before for shows. For shows. I was guest on. I, I was most I was thinking of you wore um you didn't wear a mustache, you wore like hefty sideburns. I did. Like in intense sideburns. They were intense sideburns. Well, I'm just even thinking of like I've worn fake lashes before like and it's very awkward when it's starting to kind of like peel up. I have yeah I have pictures of myself with peeling up eyelashes. Yeah. So when both security guards were in front of them the two thieves handcuffed them placed duct tape over their eyes and took them down to the basement of the museum where they handcuffed them to a steam pipe. That's actually really scary. Duct tape over your eyebrows? Wait till you see the picture we're about to view because there is actually a really horrific picture of Abbott and what he looked like when he was found. So we're going to check that out right now. And I don't know why while I'm opening this. I don't know why, but I... Oh, he looks different than I assumed he would. (laughs) Um. I know. I know. That's not what you were expecting from a security guard. No. Yeah. He has like long, curly, natural hair, like very kind of hippie-ish is he was a hippie it, uh-huh. okay yeah so he was a hippie he, like down to the fanny pack yeah he's wearing a f- 
fanny pack. Yeah. Um, and, you know, tight red jeans or corduroys. Anyways, not what I expected. But what I was going to say uh-huh. is before I saw this picture, just based on all the things that you've said so far, I was like, oh, he was in on it. He opened that side door. Okay. And we're going to, maybe we'll get to this. We're, get, sh- we're getting into it. Okay. We're getting into but it. But this is horrific so i don't know if anybody who was involved in this would let themselves be in this condition because he it literally i mean like he's sitting up straight so he's obviously alive but it looks like the scene from um and i haven't even seen this movie but um boot no what is it where they're like put plastic over the guy's face and then he's like stabbing him to a happy song oh my god oh my god i don't actually know boondock no it's not boondock saints it's some scary movie um, anyways, it's just horrific. Yeah, it's it's a very disturbing picture. It is. And I think one piece of it that is, like you sh- shared, kind of shocking, I guess, is that he doesn't look like what you would anticipate as a security guard. I, I don't know the protocol then. I'm assuming just because they were the night crew, it's not really that big of a deal. Um, this gentleman was very much a hippie. He said that. And so he has very long curly hair. He's just kind of rocking his outfit. He has a fanny pack on. And actually he's done a recent um, interview where he still has the long curly hair and everything still. So he's still doing his thing. But I would say as someone with long hair, but I mean, anyone with any hair at all, the duct tape is wrapped around his hair. Yeah. And his eyebrows. Like when you said they taped their eyes shut, I was like, Oh, the duct tape is going to rip off the eyebrows. Yes. I mean, it's a very disturbing picture. It is. So while they are down there in the basement, the guards, the thieves entered the Dutch room. Here they stole several pieces of art by taking a blade and cutting the canvases out of the frame. Why? Uh, Which, I mean, of course, hurts my soul. Yeah, In the Dutch room, there were infrared motion detectors that detected the movement in the room at this time. We can check out another picture that I've uploaded here, Leah, of a printout of the activity from that motion detector. Oh, yeah, there's there's a lot going on. (laughs) Um, Let me see. So, yeah, it's like 152, panel 02, uh, someone is in the Dutch room, investigate immediately, and then at um 154 oh that's the same time 155 yeah it's like they yeah. just kept tripping the same motion detectors yeah over and over and over, and over again, again. Yeah. someone is in the dutch room investigate immediately unfortunately they were tied up and <laughs> gagged in the basement so they couldn't <laughs> right so these thieves continued on to the short gallery and later to the blue room where they stole more pieces of art even though there were motion detectors in the blue room they didn't go off it's interesting to note that throughout all of these rooms that they stole from, you can tell where they gave up on a few pieces. Some artwork was sort of cut out of the frames, but then not completely. Some screws were removed from frames to get the artwork out, but then just left like that. Some art pieces, you could tell they had removed and then ended up just leaving them behind. Before the thieves left, they checked on the security guards once more and then went to the security desk where they stole the camera footage that showed them entering the building. And they also stole the printout from the motion detector. We obviously just viewed this printout, though. So surprise, everything was backed up to a hard drive that can still be viewed today. What? In the 1980s? Yes. At 2.45 a.m., the thieves left the building for the last time, taking with them 13 pieces of artwork valuing today at $600 million. This heist, in total, took 81 minutes. 
When the morning guard crew arrived at the museum, they kept buzzing to be let in, but obviously nothing happened. Mm -hmm. So they called the security director who, after letting himself into the building, didn't see anyone or didn't see anything. So he called the cops. It wasn't until the cops arrived at 8.15 a.m. on March 19th that they located Abbott and Heston still handcuffed and duct taped down in the basement. Like, okay, so that's seven hours later. Did they, like, piss themselves? I I cannot imagine. Cannot imagine. And hopefully at some point they at least had the relief of, like, okay, I can't hear the guy's still here. I think at least we're not going to be killed tonight. Yeah. So the police released the men. And the investigation began. Mm -hmm. Now, you've already mentioned it. Who you think suspect numero uno is? Mr. Abbott. Yes. Hippie Abbott. Hippie Abbott. And why do you say that? I just, just based on what the things you said, like he had already been working there a while. He opened a side door that he's never done before. The the weird thing about the side door is that he did say he, oh yeah, I do that on all my shifts. And then other museum guards had around the, you know that were working there at that time said like no he couldn't have done that on every shift because we were very closely monitored by like the director the director never would have let it fly for someone to like open the side door regularly on his shift for him to, so for him to say oh that was just a regular part of my patrol no it wasn't yeah yeah it's so that's the biggest suspicious. one but then also just that he's worked there a little while but yeah so security guard rick abbeth he's suspect numero uno yeah He's obviously super suspicious. He's a more seasoned night guard, like you said, and he knows that the guy working the night shift with him is a newbie. Mm -hmm. We also know he opened that side door just to shut it again. Why? Was he unlocking it? Was he signaling to the thieves that the coast was clear? And remember how I said earlier that the blue room motion detectors didn't go off when the thieves were moving around in there? We know from reviewing the logs from earlier that evening that Abbott had been in and out of that room shortly before the thieves arrived. Could this mean he had shut off the motion detecting system in this room? And ultimately, it was Abbott that made the decision to buzz the thieves in, which was strictly against protocol. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. It's a, co- a cops in uniform. Sure. No, I, I can I can understand that, too. And if he's 23 years old, mm-hmm. like young guy, cops saying there's a disturbance like, oh, shit, let's let him in. And, you know, I mean, what could the worst happen of letting two cops in to investigate a museum? Yeah. Well, they found out. <laughs> yeah, they found out. And then in just 2015, the FBI released a video to the public that you guys can check out online uh, now showing Abbott on the day before the heist opening up that same side door and letting an unidentified man with a long trench coat and an upturned collar in. The FBI released the video basically to ask the public if they could identify the man in the coat. But you also have to wonder if they were trying to send some sort of a message to Abbott because although he has never been formally charged with involvement, suspicion still resides there. It is worth noting, though, that following the release of that video, other former museum guards have come forward and said the man in the coat was the security director, Abbott's boss. Oh, OK. Interesting, though, right? Mm hmm. In more recent years, the FBI has stated that they believe with relative confidence that this museum heist is related to the mafia. 
Two particular members of the mafia, Robert Gorente and Robert Gentile, remain high on the list of suspects. When Gorente passed away after a battle with cancer, his wife told the FBI that her late husband had many of the stolen paintings from the museum, but had given them to Gentile before his passing. Okay, pause. Because this is exactly what I wanted to touch on is like, I don't understand like stolen art. Because, like, unless you're a, mo- a mob boss who can, like, brag to your mob boss disciples, like, are, what are you going to display, like, a f***ing I, Van Gogh? I never understood it because, exactly, if you are selling art on the black market, like, now everyone knows exactly where it came from and who you sold it to. And if you're buying it on the black market, it's like, okay, so either A, you display it and you tell everybody yes this is the real thing that yeah. someone stole and i purchased from them yeah. on the black market yeah or you lie and say it's not real in which case why did you spend that much I, money on I've it i've never understood stealing i just art. don't get it no i'm 100 with you and then in addition to all of that i mean priceless artwork is priceless artwork but also all of this artwork is has all these jagged lines all yeah. the way around it too because it's been cut out of its frames yeah yeah i'm 100 with you okay continue Um, So anyway, so his wife said, told the FBI, hey, my husband had many of those stolen paintings from the museum, but he gave them to Gentile before his passing. Gentile denied this. And following a search of his house by the FBI, they were unable to locate any of the paintings. They did locate two interesting things, though. One, a secret compartment beneath a false floor. And although there was nothing inside of it, Gentile's son did tell authorities that his father had been devastated a few years earlier when a flood had filled that compartment. He didn't know why, but his dad was like devastated. Like, see, you're keeping a piece of... Mil- you probably paid millions of dollars to keep a piece of art under a floor compartment. Yeah. I and, just don't get it. And, and it's, hard, it's art that you can never sell. Yes. And the second interesting thing they found in his home was an issue of the Boston Herald that contained an article that laid out exactly how much each of the stolen pieces of artwork would be worth on the black market. Hmm. There are a million one other suspects, including the likes of Whitey Bulger, but still to this day, no official suspects and no arrests have been made. In accordance with the late Isabella Stewart Gardner's will, no major alterations were to be made to the museum. Therefore, the museum chose to leave the empty frames up throughout the building. Anne Hawley, who had just become the director of the museum shortly before the theft, is quoted as saying she wanted to leave the empty frames up so that it would remind visitors and ourselves of what we had lost and be a sign of mourning for all of us. I have, uh, if you check out here, a picture, and this is a a modern day picture. If you were to go to the museum right now, this is what you would see. Uh, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah. I, my first in- initial thing was like, why? Mm. <laughs> but no, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah, I would agree. And I think, I know this is awful, but like a lot of the traffic that the museum sees is because of this infamous heist. Well, Yeah. And so that's why a lot of people go literally to see these empty frames. You know, the floors look like they could be refinished, (laughs) (laughs) but they can't, but they can't. (laughs) Now this podcast is obviously an audio platform. So I don't want to go on and on about all 13 of the pieces of art stolen when you guys can't look at pictures of each of them, but I would be remiss not to mention a few of them. And Leah and I have the pictures here in front of us for us to view. There's a lot. There are a lot. One of the most devastating losses was the concert by Vermeer because it is one of only 34 of his known paintings. 
of Rembrandt's painting stolen that night. We have the Storm of the Sea of Galilee, a lady and gentleman in black, Mm -hmm. and a self-portrait. There are also several, several Degas paintings missing, and anyone in the dance world is familiar with Degas, which makes it that much more devastating. You can view all of the pieces of art stolen on the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum's official website. In addition to that, and in an effort to really support museums during this tough time, you know, during the pandemic, go check out the museum's website for an audio tour provided by Anthony Amore, director of security, where he walks you through the March 18th theft and the importance of each of the pieces of artwork stolen on that fateful day. And while you're on the website, click on the give button where you can donate any amount, big or small, to the museum to help keep them going. Because they can't f***ing change anything to make it better. So literally, (laughs) I'm sure they're living off of your donations. No, they absolutely are living off of people's donations right now while they're shut down during COVID. Like, I think that's really sweet that they're following her will. I just also think that it's crazy crazy. from a business perspective. Yeah, it's hard. And finally, another little plug, our friend Annalisa of the Accessible Art History Podcast has a really great YouTube video and blog about this incident. I highly recommend checking it out if you are interested in learning more about the artwork stolen and getting to actually see it, something that we couldn't really do here on the podcast. Just go to AccessibleArtHistory.com for all of the information there. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We will share the pictures that we discussed on this episode to our Instagram. um, And I will also provide a link to the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum's uh, website so that you can look at those exact pieces of artwork that were stolen. And all sources, which include the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum's website, can be found on our website at hashtaghistory-pod.com. As always, if you guys enjoyed the episode please do us a favor. Subscribe to Hashtag History on whatever podcast platform you use. Spotify, Apple, Google, a pod, pod, pocket cast. That's literally the one both of us use. That's the one we exactly both use. (laughs) Uh, Stitcher. What else? Anchor. Anchor. Radio, Radio Public. I could pull it up, but I think you got most of them. Yeah. Any platform you use, all of them work. Yes. Share it with a friend. And do us a favor by giving us a rate and review. Yes, please. Also, um, be sure to check us out on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. We like to confuse you. Sometimes we use dashes. Other times we use underscores. Mostly we just use whatever's available out there because uh, our domain has been taken because it's very cool. Yeah, it's the coolest (laughs) domain. (laughs) (laughs) So we are always doing super fun stuff on Instagram, including contests, live streams, trivia nights. Uh, We post these uh, disgusting cocktail recipes. Oh, God. Yeah, we do. And so much more. So much more. And as always, if you are looking for a way to support the podcast, first off, thank you. Um, Secondly, you can check us out on patreon.com slash hashtag history, where you can donate just $1 a month to help us out with our booze and book supply. And another way you can support us is by heading over to our website, which is linked to our merch store and purchasing stuff on there. I'm having trouble, guys. We have face masks, mugs, shirts, tote bags, pillows, stickers, stickers, so much more. Sweatshirts. Mmm, comfy, comfy sweatshirts. So comfy. 
Um, and there's really cute designs on there. I designed oh them God. myself. So they're so freaking cute. There are bananas. There's a, a, a cartoon cut out of us. <laughs> and we're so cute. We're so cute. <laughs> what else? There's, um, I, there is a, sh- I mean, it's on shirts, sweatshirts, face masks, tote bags. It says historically. Wow. wow. Which I mean, just historically, wow, wow. you know, yeah. So. <laughs> I think that's a quote from one of our more recent episodes. Yeah, I think it was maybe from our one-year anniversary. But yeah, so check that out. Yes, thank you all so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. We've said it before on the podcast. On the pad, the podcast. Friends, <laughs> what's going Frans. on, nasally Nancy? <laughs> Let's try that again. Rewind. Rewind. Wind. <laughs> this one is going to hurt our art history friends. I think it's say art history friend. Art history friends. Okay. This one is going to hurt. Say hurt our art. This one is going to hurt our art history friends. Okay. It is difficult. Yeah. No arrest of. You're good. So, hey, we're going to have to cut this together. <laughs> yeah. Let's make Sorry. a loud noise. Hold on so it, I can line it up. Ah! <laughs> I think it's the elderflower that it's gnashing. I think that's what are it you, is. Are you taking the elderflower liqueur's name in vain? Never. She's just chomping on grass in front of me right now. <laughs> oh my god! All right, let's do, let's do yeah, this. let's do this thing. And was created to house gardeners. <laughs> I'm so proud. I know. I know. This is like the sixth episode we've had in Massachusetts. In, in Boston. In Boston. Yeah. No, but definitely all all of our episodes happen in Massachusetts or. Pennsylvania, maybe? What were you going to say? No, I'm just really proud of the way you're pronouncing Massachusetts. I'm trying especially hard. (laughs) I feel this drink. Really? You don't? Maybe because of all the grass you're eating. I've, I've. This is, this is sustaining you? Yeah. Uh, uh. Any more basil? I think I'm good. Yeah, basil does dry so quickly. Mm-hmm. It gets all brown and crusty. I don't like it crusty. I just like my cheese like just that. Just like the cheese crusty. No, it's different. <laughs> Sunday morning. Uh, what am I thinking? Rain is falling Sunday morning. Wait, is that how it goes? Who is that? It's Maroon 5. Darkness, she is all. Never want to leave. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so it's a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instagram or to the ins- uh, into Ooh. the out is by supporting us on what? <laughs> <laughs> supporting us on what? There. <laughs> oh jeez. Okay. This is gonna have some good bloopers. <laughs>